Good morning. The reading of God's Word this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. In the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 896 if you want to follow along. 896 in the following Jesus Bible, page 1153. John 10, 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. If you have little ones, first grade or under, who would like to go over for children's worship, they can walk over there with Miss Brittany and Miss Savannah. If you're visiting with us and they're not pre-registered, uh, one parent will want to walk over there with them uh, to get them settled. Well, we had a guest preacher last Sunday, um, so let me remind you of where we left off in our journey through the Gospel of John. So in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. And this remarkable miracle of healing a man born blind uh, communicates something about Jesus. I mean, who has the power to heal congenital blindness, right? So the result of this remarkable... Everybody in town knew this guy who was blind. The, The ripple effect that it had in this community was remarkable... And some people in this town, including the man who had been healed, are beginning to believe Jesus is not just some guy. He's not even just a prophet. They've begun to believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the one that God sent to heal and restore our broken world. Now, the religious leaders of Israel who were in that town did not agree with that conclusion. And so they were doing whatever they could to draw people away from Jesus. Some are fleeing to Jesus. They're trying to keep that from happening. And so there are two different responses to Jesus' healing work. And with those two different responses, we see two different narratives. Jesus is inviting people to know him, to trust him, and then to find the life, the good life, that they were made for. The other narrative was Jesus is a demon-possessed sinner. (laughs) Do not follow him. He will not give you the good life, but we will. We, the scribes and Pharisees, we will give you the good life. Don't go after the good life that he's offering you. And in 2023, we have the exact same dynamic occurring all around us. Jesus offers you the good life, the life that you were made for, if you will trust and follow him. 
But there are any other number of voices out there that are selling you their vision of the good life. But what is this good life that Jesus offers us? Uh, This is what we considered two weeks ago. So the good life that Jesus offers consists of, this is what you were made for, Jesus says. Living in intimacy with God. Being captivated by God's beauty and character so that we worship. And being set apart by God for a holy purpose in this life and the next. If you hear that and say, that doesn't sound like a good life. Definitely not the good life I'm being sold on a daily basis. Go back two weeks ago. We unpacked that at length. So you can go back and see this is the good life that Jesus is calling you to. Well, how can you have it? How can you have this good life, the life that you were made for? Well, as we saw two weeks ago, there's only one source of the good life. It can't be found through the world's offers of the good life. It can't be had through keeping the law. It can't be had through zeal for a certain kind of society or community or church. The good life can only be had by pursuing Jesus. Jesus is the source. You want this? You want what you were made for? You have to go to Jesus. And as we go back, so we're actually skipping back now in John chapter 10 to a portion we skipped two weeks ago. We find Jesus directly addressing this idea of a shared intimacy between him and and his people, a connection point between Jesus and his people. So let's look at it. Look at verse 14 in chapter 10. We're going to read it over and over and over. You can open your Bibles. I encourage that. It's good, good for a pastor to hear those pages moving. John 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So how can you have a good life? How can you have the life that you were made for? The good life can be found only through knowing Jesus. And if you are a Christian, it is Jesus' intention to have an intimate relationship with you. Now, I know... (laughs) I just thought of Target. I don't know if it still says this, but I can remember in the past there's a section called intimate. So I always thought that was a very strange word for underwear, right? I know the language of intimacy can sound romantic and even erotic. And while that can be an appropriate metaphor for a relationship between Christ and his bride, and you see that in Ephesians chapter 5 and elsewhere, Hosea, the intimacy that Jesus is talking about here is different from that, is intimacy of a different kind. Look again at verses 14. We're in the middle of verse 14 into verse 15. He says, I know my own and my own know me. That's the in, There's intimacy just as the father knows me and I know the father. So the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you, it's like sheep and a shepherd, but it's also like him and his father. So Let me ask you a very difficult theological question. How close, how intimate are God the Father and God the Son? Well, Jesus tells us later in this chapter, and we saw it two weeks ago. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one, right? Now, Jesus isn't saying there's no distinction between the Father and the Son, but he's saying they are united, and they have always been united. That God the Father and God the Son have always been united in mind, in purpose, and in love. So what the Father wants, the Son wants. 
what the, what the father thinks the son is already thinking. What the father loves, the son loves. They're always on the same page together. There's a deep unity, oneness, intimacy between the father and the son. Don't overread oneness. We believe in an eternal <laughs> trinity, right? So the relationship that he wants to have with you is like the relationship he has with his father. And what that means is that Jesus intends to reveal his mind and heart to you. And he desires the same thing from you. He wants to reveal his heart and mind to you, and he wants you to do the same. So he doesn't only use—we we got like two different comparisons here. It's like the sheep and shepherds, like the father and son. Let's think about the sheep and shepherd. It's a little easier for us to process. Imagine the shepherd's long hours with his herd. It's a lot of time out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of sheep. And what does he do? The shepherd gives each sheep a name. He knows each sheep's tendencies. He knows their ailments and injuries from earlier in the season that he's got to be watching out for. He even knows their personalities. And each sheep has become so accustomed to the shepherd's presence that they not only know his voice, they expect things from him. They expect the shepherd's provision when they're hungry. They're expecting he's going to feed them. They're also expecting the shepherd's discipline. They're expecting the shepherd's presence. It's just like a father and a son. So here's my question. With these two comparison points, the relationship between the father and the son, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd... Do you know Jesus like that? Is your relationship as real to you as the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd or between the father and the son? Do you have a deep sense of knowledge of Jesus' mind, of Jesus' heart, of Jesus' ways? When you look at your life, do you see the provision of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the discipline of Jesus in your life? And are you known to him? Or is Jesus an object of your study and curiosity? Is he an idea, a story, a thing that is out there for you to think about and chew on and read about and see from afar? Something you explore that's way out there? Something that you observe and worship? Or... Have you become so knit together with Jesus that it's almost like you know his mind and his words before he makes them known? That's intimacy. And that, I believe, is the intimacy not only shared between God the Father and God the Son. They think one another's thoughts after one another. They have the same love and the same will. And it's the same intimacy to which Jesus calls you. To know him that deeply. But conversely, do you make yourself known to him? Not just do you know his mind, his heart, his desires. Have you poured yourself out to him? When you are in trouble, to whom do you go bleating? When you are in pain, when you are in need, is he the one to whom you bear your soul? Or is he simply a theological principle that you apply to your pain? that you apply to your sin, that you apply to your struggles. Jesus. Jesus is a human being 
who, though royal and divine, wants you to relate to him as a person. So yes, Jesus desires and deserves your worship. He desires and deserves your service. He deserves and desires your obedience. But he also wants to know and to be known by you. He wants to love you and be loved by you. Not because he has need of your love. He is completely self-sufficient. No, he wants your love because he knows that's what you're made for. That's the good life. We went back to the garden. What were we made? We were made to live with God, to love God, and to serve God. And because he loves you, he wants that for you. This kind of intimate relationship with Jesus is the way we've discovered the good life. The life we were made for. The life we're longing for. All of our desire for purpose, for peace, for love is pointing us to Jesus. And the intimacy that can be had with God through Jesus. And this is why he said what he said back in verse 10. This is not in your worship, guys. You've got to have your Bible out to see it. Back in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have what? Life. And have it abundantly. Do you want the good life? The life you were made for? Then attend to your relationship with Jesus. Give yourself over to knowing Jesus and making yourself known to Jesus. Make him the central dominant figure of your life. The great passion and love of your soul. But what does that mean? I mean, that could sound like just some evangelical platitude that's not really grounded in reality, right? Well, love for Jesus grows from our knowledge and experience of Jesus. Years ago, I preached a sermon called, uh, the title was, To Know Him is to Love Him. And I still hold that to be true. Our love for Jesus grows as we know him more deeply and as we experience him more. So let's think through that. First, while love can be an intentional choice predicated upon some deeply held conviction, love most naturally springs from intimate knowledge of somebody. So let me give you an example of this first kind of love. Am I on the right screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So love that's an intentional choice based on a deeply held conviction. So let's imagine this afternoon you're, you're, you're in your neighborhood and you see a child that you don't know has stumbled out into the street and a speeding car is coming. And in that moment, you make a choice and you dive in front of that car and you save that child at the expense of your own life. Is that love? Not a trick question. Is that love? Most certainly that is love. That is love of a a remarkable sort. You, because you saw this child, you saw their worth, their dignity, you dove in and you saved their life. That is an intentional choice based upon some deeply held principle, some belief that is love, without a doubt. But that's not the most common kind of love that we experience. The more common love that we enjoy is something that grows out of knowing another person. As you get to know a person, you grow to love them. My wife and I just celebrated our 15th anniversary. I can tell you, I love her more today than I did 15 years ago because I know her more deeply and we have experienced so many more things now than we did 15 years ago. 
And I promise you, the fact that she tolerates me is proof that she loves me more than she did 15 years ago, right? This is, (laughs) thank you for that amen, brother. As you get to know a person, you grow to love them. And that love is of a different sort than for the child in the street whom you saved, right? They're both love and they're both costly because love is always costly. But one is intimate love, right? So let's consider the the, the love shared between God the Father and God the Son. Let's look at their intimacy, their intimacy that comes from knowing each other deeply. What was that love like? Let's look back, verse 14 again. told you we're going to read it a lot. Verse 14, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, if we don't read this very carefully, we might be tempted to say that the Father's love for the Son is conditional. That God the Father said to God the Son, Now, Son, I will love you, but only if you lay down your life for your children. But to think that way is to misunderstand the very nature of the triune God. Let's chew on this a little bit. We're going to get a little theological. Does God have free will? This is reiterating the need of theological education at FPC. Thank you, son. God does have free will. God can do whatever he wants. Yes, without a doubt. But what does God want? God only wants what is good and right and true. God always acts consistently with his character, with his plan, and with his loves, right? So let's apply that principle to Jesus. Did Jesus, during his earthly life, did Jesus have free will? Could Jesus have done whatever he wanted? Yes, most certainly. But what did Jesus want? Jesus, who existed with the Father and the Spirit before he was ever born, who has always existed with him, Jesus came to earth with a mission that he received from his father. And what was the mission? Look again at verses 17 and 18. For this reason the father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So the mission that the father gave the son was to die for the ones that he had given him. Is there any possibility that Jesus would have failed in that task? No. Because God always acts in accordance with his character. God the Father and God the Son are one in mind, in plan, in purpose, and in love. So when verse 17 says that the Father loves the Son because he lays down his life, it's not saying that the Father's love was conditional. It's saying that if Jesus didn't die for his people, that the Father wouldn't love him anymore. No, it's saying that the Father knew the Son's heart. He knew the Son's mind. He knew his intentions. And the Father loved the Son 
Not because he was willing, but because he was desirous to save sinners. The father delighted in the son because he was a man after God's own heart. He loved the same things his father loved. He wanted the same things his father loved. And so the two of them had this mutual overflowing love. The self-sacrificing, gracious heart of the son. Delight of the father who is also self-sacrificing and gracious and loving. How could they not? They are one in heart and mind. That's the love between the Father and the Son. So let's then apply that back to the intimacy that Jesus desires with us. Verse 14, again. If you don't have this one memorized by the end of today, we've done something wrong. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. The Father loves the Son because He knows the Son. The Father loves the Son because they have this shared heart and mind. And Jesus desires our love with Him to mirror that relationship. He wants us to so know the heart of Jesus that we cannot help but be enamored with him. And he wants the same thing in us, that when he peers into the deepest parts of our hearts, what does he find? Love for the same things that he loves, the same loves and desires and passions that Jesus has. But here's the question. What would it take for your loves, for your affections, for your thoughts and your plans to be shaped to those of Jesus? How could that happen? That he could peer into the dark crevices of our hearts and find that we've been shaped to him. How could that ever happen? You'd have to follow him. Like a sheep. You'd have to chase after him. You'd have to spend time with him. Talk to him. Listen to him. And you don't do it alone. You do it with flock. All of us together seeking to follow Jesus and to know Jesus and to love Jesus. You'd have to read the story of his life over and over and over and over. Both of the spirit of worship and repentance for where we fall short. Jesus, if you were going to have your affections and your thoughts and your whole life transformed to be like Jesus, he'd have to be the great love of your life. And that task, let's be honest. Is too great for the 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. And so I would argue that growth in intimacy and love for Jesus is something that's going to continue through all eternity because his character is beyond compare. On the day you die and you see the face of Jesus, you will realize that any love any glory, any beauty that you have seen in him. It was the tip of the iceberg. He is that beautiful. He is that good and he is that loving. And so we have all eternity to love him more because who is he? He is the most holy God who loved sinners enough to die. God the Father said to God the Son, I've chosen you to take these sinners as your people. You will purify them through your death. You will restore them as a new humanity. You're going to give these people the life they were made for. And the cost will be your life. And Jesus looked at you and he smiled. 
This is the love we are called to know and to enjoy for all eternity, starting now. And as you grow to know Jesus and to pursue Jesus and to trust Jesus, that's going to have an impact in your life. The good life isn't just sitting at the feet of Jesus and gazing into his heart and mind like an ascetic monk. No, our love for Jesus is demonstrated by the change it affects in our desiring and our living and our thinking. And that should be common sense. My love for my wife has indelibly changed my life. Guys, it's really good you did not know me before I met Megan. (laughs) It's remarkable. (laughs) It's remarkable. I now want different things because I love my wife. I live in a different way. I think in a different way because of my love for her, because of my life with her. And deep intimacy with Jesus is no different. In fact, it's even more affecting. It's even more life-changing. And so throughout John's gospel and John's letters, we see an innate connection between loving Jesus and obeying him. We said over and over and over. You love him, you're going to obey him. In John chapter 14, Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Very straightforward. In 1 John chapter 5, John says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments aren't burdensome. Why? Because it's what we were made for, to know God and to serve him. So when a Christian is struggling with sin, I know many of you are, when we're not obeying God, the prime problem is always their relationship with Jesus. Somewhere in that relationship, there's a failure to trust Jesus and to love Jesus. And that's why the invitation for a sinning Christian is the same for an unbeliever or for anybody. Repent. Go back to Jesus. Flee from these other visions of the good life and what they promise you and go to Jesus, your one great love. If you do, if you find yourself enamored with Jesus, you will obey as a matter of course. Why? Because as we grow in intimacy and appreciation for someone, it's only natural that we would want to be faithful to them. This is no less true in our relationship with Jesus, right? So let me do my pastoral duty and try uh, to make this practical and digestible for you because I know I've been theological and excitable this morning. If I was trying to encourage you to develop intimacy with your spouse, one of the things I'd tell you is go on a date with them every week if possible. Spend time alone, especially if you've got kids. We love our children, but be together, right? If you were wanting to develop intimacy with a friend, what would I tell you to do? I'd tell you to go hang out with them, go have a coffee, share your struggles. But how do we do this with Jesus? He's in heaven with the Father. How do we cultivate this knowledge and experience of Jesus that results in love for him? Well, if you want to love Jesus and have the good life that's found in him, I can see at least four different activities that are worth your time and consideration. This is not comprehensive. One that should have been in here was go to church. You need these people, but I didn't put it on here. Sorry. First, Pray for God to grow your love for Jesus. Love for Jesus is not something you can conjure up on your own. This isn't a work of the flesh. If you feel a desire in your heart, you're like, man, I want to love Jesus. Ask God to do it. (laughs) Ask for the Spirit to do that in your life. God doesn't say no to that prayer. Ask him, help me to love Jesus. It's very simple. Pray and ask. Second, spend time alone. In contemplation and adoration before the triune God. Now, I'm intentionally using loaded and mystical sounding language here. Contemplative. I'm doing that for a reason. 
Because I want you to imagine what it would be like to simply spend time alone with God without a preset agenda and without a devotional routine, but simply to rest in the presence of God, contemplating his character and adoring him. So yes, I don't think the whole life of a Christian is, should be this monastic withdrawal and meditation, but I do think that should take up some part of our life. So how often do we individually, think about yourself, how often do you set aside time to meditate and think about your finances? How often do you set aside time to, to think about human relationships that are important to you? How often do you dream about your retirement and your retirement plans or your upcoming vacation? How often do we contemplate and imagine and dream and enjoy these things? What if we spent more regular quality time with God, enjoying his love, contemplating his character, contemplating his provision? I dare say we would find ourselves loving him more than all these other things that we spend so much time meditating on, these lesser things. So if you want to love Jesus and have the good life that's found in him, Pray for God to grow your love for Jesus, and then spend time alone with God. The third, read the Gospels, and read them daily and and relationally. It's providential Joe Bernard would be here today because I picked this up from one of his books. He's got a new book coming out on the 6th, right? We'll, We'll let you talk about that in a couple of weeks, all right? If you want to know Jesus, you have to be immersed in the four Gospels that tell his story. Joe's book, was it your first book? Recommended every day you need to be reading a portion of the Gospels. When I read that, I was like, ugh, that's so common sense. Why have have I not thought of this before? Why have I not heard somebody else say this before? And since I read that in his book, I have just read a portion of the Gospels every day in my Bible reading. And the point is not some legalistic, okay, I did it, check it off. No, we read them relationally. When we read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... They're like a window into the heart and mind of Jesus. What I read in the Gospels about Jesus is what I contemplate in my time alone with God. What I see of Jesus in the Gospels is what I celebrate and trust and rest in him otherwise. What is revealed of Jesus in the Gospels is what we need to know of him. What I'm not telling you, please don't mishear me, what I'm not telling you is go spend... Some, some quiet time alone with Jesus so that he reveals something to you about himself that he hasn't revealed otherwise. No, 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 no. In the Gospels, he has revealed himself. That is what you need to know of Jesus. And when we read the Gospels, we see who he is that we may take delight in him. So those four books are the foundation for intimacy with him. So we must be reading the Gospels. So you want to love Jesus? You want to have the good life that is found in him? Pray for God to grow your love for Jesus. Spend time with him alone, but also read the Gospels. I think daily's good, but at least regularly and relationally. But last, if you want to love Jesus, love the people that Jesus loves. Love the people that Jesus loves. Look again at verses 14 through 16. I think this is the last time. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The church is not only Jesus' flock, they're Jesus' bride. 
and the shepherd loves his sheep. The groom loves his bride. He loves her enough that he died for her. And if you want to love Jesus, if you want to have the good life, you need to grapple with this idea that Jesus is knit together with these other people that he loves. And if you want to love him, it's going to entail loving them too. If you want to love me, love that woman right there. Love those little kids that God has blessed us with. You love me by loving them, right? And as you get to know them, you get to know me. In the same way, Christ calls us to love these people. And I'm very specifically pointing at these people. Faith Presbyterian Church. God has called you into this flock. You guys are all Grace Alexandria. He called you into that flock, right? So look at the people God has put you with and say, I'm to love these. Jesus loves these people the same way he loves me. And so we love them together. But there's also other people outside this flock. First, and other churches. And we have several people here today from other churches. Traveled in from out of town. Good to see you guys. We love you. We love other people that serve Christ. And in fact, we want to work together with them. This is the whole idea of Awaken North Shore. Is we're cooperating with other churches here in our area. Not only to love each other, but also to love the lost. Those who are in no fold. And so we need to open our eyes to the fact that Jesus' heart is for his church. His heart is also for the lost. And so if we want to love Jesus, we need to kind of integrate that into our thinking. It's not just to be about me and him. It's about us together. And it's about others being included into the flock. When I see your heart and I see your struggles and I see the Lord being faithful to you, I see you seeking to follow him, that grows my love for you and also for Jesus. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who looked on the crowds. And he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart broke for the lost. If we love Jesus, we're going to see that same love happening in us. So, brothers and sisters, open your eyes to these other people as well. So, in conclusion, what's your relationship to Jesus? Have you relegated him to one part of your life or to one day of your week? Or is he the central figure in all of your life? And what's your relation to him? Is he just an idea out there? Is he a principle? Is he uh, uh, something you seek to achieve through your works of piety or devotion? Or is he your shepherd? The one that if you trust him and follow him, you'll be knit together with him and his heart in some fundamental intimacy that can only be compared to the intimacy shared between God the Father and God the Son. If you can grow in that intimacy, you'll grow into the good life, the life that you were made for. And so I commend these four activities to you, not as some mechanistic, religious, or legalistic process that's guaranteed to give you the good life if you do it a certain way, but as tangible, realistic ways for you to cultivate your love for Jesus, he who is the great lover of our souls and also the great lover of our world. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, I praise you for being a self-revealing God. You revealed yourself to Abraham when he was not looking for you. And when Israel called out in Egypt for a Savior, you came and you said, I will be your God. 
you will be my people. Your heart, O oh God, has always been to restore this world and to restore us to the life we were made for, to live with you. So I praise you for being that kind of a God, a self-revealing God. We thank you that you revealed yourself in Jesus. We thank you that you revealed yourself through the Spirit in your word. Holy Spirit, I pray for the people in this room, men, women, boys, and girls. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would pursue their hearts as you pursued Abraham, as you pursued Moses and Israel, that you would make your beauty and your love so clear to them that they would be gripped with love for you. (laughs) It would make all of their loves just seem like nothing in comparison. And Lord, as we are taken up in love for you, show us how to love your people and how to love our neighbors who are not yet your people. Help us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.